0: You know, the book of Malachi, is interesting because it marks the end of the Old Testament. And the Lord has plenty to say. And he uses this prophet Malachi to issue a warning to Israel. It's a warning that uh, to turn back to God, stop what they're doing, and to go back to God. But it's also a warning that we can glean a lot from today. You know, there is no doubt that... Uh, God loves them, and as many times before, he reminds them. But at the same time, he puts a spotlight on what they're doing wrong. He puts a spotlight on the heart problem that the people seem to have. So a righteous God is pointing out unrighteousness. We wouldn't expect anything less. And in Malachi 1-2, he says this, I have always loved you, says the Lord, but you retort, Really? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, This is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob. But I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert of jackals, four jackals. And if you remember from previous sermons, there was a wrestling match between Jacob and God. And he ended up blessing him, changing his name to Israel with the 12 tribes coming from his 12 children. And on the flip side of that coin, if you remember, Esau was his brother who sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil stew. He was a man that was very cardinal and driven by his wants and desires. He was indifferent to the importance of spiritual matters at hand. And the word describes him as godless and therefore God rejected him. It's no doubt, and it blows your mind. Think about this that God loved the Israelites and he chose them over everyone else on the planet earth. He set them apart for his blessing, showing them favor being with them and helping them to survive as a people. Recently, he had brought them out of Babylonian captivity, captivity, restored their land. God was all in for the Israelites, but the Israelites were not all in for God. And we see that in their response to his declaration. And he says, I have always loved you. And their response, but you retort, really, how have you loved us? You know, Scripture uses the word retort, which is a sharp comment, comment Excuse me, or accusation. So they're being snappy, and they said to them, really, how have you loved us? You know, it's quite a comment from people who owe their very existence to God, people who walked through the Red Sea, people who saw blessing after blessing, miracle after miracle. They even saw God's wrath in the face of unrighteousness and sin. Their memories were short, and they had forgotten who they served they had forgotten what he had done. And this can be a heads up for us today when it comes to God in our lives. Because our memories can be short. Those times when God is moving powerfully in our lives and he's answering prayer. And he's speaking clearly to us. Man, he seems like he's right there, right? When we're on fire for the things of God. And then all of a sudden, it starts to fade. And all of a sudden, we're not hearing from God as much anymore. And all of a sudden, he feels like he's way over there. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is not a liar. When he says, never will I leave you or forsake you, never will he leave you or forsake you. When we feel God is distant, most of the time, it's because we're backing up. Most of the time, it's because we're playing in sin. Most of the time, it's our pride. Most of the time, it's what we want to do. Of course he starts feeling distant. And of course, sometimes you don't hear him clearly. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing spiritually. What the word tells us all to do spiritually, to get ready for that battle so that we can clearly hear God. Clearly see his direction. Clearly know it's him. Man, when that stuff starts to fade and we're not on fire for the Lord anymore and we're not seeing a move in our life, the doubt creeps in. And maybe for some, they start asking or actually questioning how much he really loves them. You know, we throw it around, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. But listen, God loves you. Some people don't receive it. Some people don't see themselves as loved by God. But if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, God loves you. See, when we let the doubts come in. Sometimes we revert back to what we know. So we let the doubts come in and then all of a sudden we're not relying on God anymore. We're not trusting in God. And what do we go back to right here? Instead of reverence, we go to self-reliance. Instead of the power of God, we start doing the power of me. We start leaning on our own strength. For those who are really charismatic and can talk their way on anything, that's what they go to. They're going to talk their way out. They're going to convince others to do it. They're going to get help by the way of their tongue. Amen. That's when we start to question how much God loves us. That's when we start to question Jesus Christ in our personal relationship. We don't want to go there. It's a battle. It's a battle that goes on in the mind. See, when we go into valleys... All of a sudden, we question. When we go in the valleys, the doubts creep up. When we're in valleys and we're struggling with the trials and tribulation, and you're like, God, why are you doing this to me? Or God, why are you doing this to us? We go in those valleys, you know, that's where we're really called to walk in faith. We go in those valleys, that's when we really have to set aside ourselves and walk in trust. How strong is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Let me know when you're walking through the valley. Because when God's doing powerful things in your life, when God's providing you jobs, when God's providing you healing, when you see him answering your prayers, it's really easy to press into God and give him praise. But try singing his praises when you're in the middle of the valley and everything's going wrong. See it doesn't mean that God left. 95% of the time he will not remove you from something he'll bring you always bring you through. And it strengthens our faith. Sometimes we get aggravated by what we perceive to be the Lord's lack of action. How he allows trials and tribulations in our life. Maybe even start weighing how much he actually loves us by what he's doing for us. You see, that's what the Israelites did here in Malachi. Their response was disrespectful, disrespectful how have you loved us? They're being disrespectful to God. And the bottom line is they suffered consequences for their own choices. But at the same time, wouldn't take ownership. Wouldn't take responsibility. They were blaming God. Now tell me if you can relate to this. They were blaming God for what they didn't have. They certainly and clearly didn't see their own wickedness where they went wrong, what they were doing wrong. They certainly were showing insensitivity for God, the Lord, his love for them. There had been so many times that God sent prophet after prophet to them, called them back to the path of righteousness to let go of their idols and to worship him. And you know what? It fell on deaf ears and it deflected off of hardened hearts. And some people didn't pay attention because they love their sin more. Unfortunately, some people share the same sentiments today. I want to be clear here. We've said this before, but it's, it's, it's important. You know, just because you become Christian doesn't mean there's no more struggles. Are you kidding me? Talk to people who have been Christian a long time. Talk to people who are involved and working for the Lord. Talk to people who are in the trenches. Talk to people about getting attacked. Talk to Brian Carrillo about the whole anxiety thing we just talked about. Because the enemy pushes your buttons. He's coming. Be spiritually prepared. And know that he's coming. The Bible tells us he's coming. Bible tells us the temptations are coming, but that God is going to make the temptations so it's not going to overwhelm you anymore, and God's going to provide you a way out, but it's coming. Are you ready for it? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had recently with people that are just so fired up for the Lord because they've been involved in different things, okay, in the church, and in ministries, and they're pressing into God, and they feel good, and they feel empowered, and their addiction's not even crossing their mind anymore. You know why? Because they're spiritually in the center of the will of God doing the right thing. And that's available for all of us. It's available for all of us. Houghton said, you know what? He parted the Red Sea, but the Jews had to walk through. It's true. Listen, being Christian today means three important things. Christ is with you, the Holy Spirit's in you, and the power of God's available to you. That sums everything up right there. You can handle anything because it's not you handling it. It's God, right? See, the people were in error with their thinking. and their response, however you loved us, they were pointing to the struggles and the pain that God allowed to happen. And it became with them all about what God didn't do rather than his mercy and his grace. They were looking at what the Lord had removed from them and not what he had provided they were being irreverent in denial of their own sin and of the choices that caused the hammer to drop in the first place. So many times they conformed to society around them instead of being obedient to God. And guess what? So they conformed the society around them and not obedient to God. And guess what? It spiritually and negatively affected their life. Listen, when we're in sin... When we're doing things that society does When we treat each other like crap As brothers and sisters in Christ When we're not showing God's love for one another Like God shows us There are consequences There are consequences The enemy shows up And he pushes the button And you may not think there's consequences But they're probably going on already We can't just do whatever we want. It doesn't work that way. God is love, but God is holy, and God is also righteous. And he wants the best for us, and he tries to keep us out of the minefield, tries to keep us from touching the stove, but too many of us want to touch the stove twice, just to make sure it was hot the first time. (laughs) Listen, I'm, I'm one of those guys. Huh. took me a little it didn't take me that long to figure out when I get knocked down I can get up in the power of Jesus Christ and to not touch the stove again because I'm going to get burned and God's just shaking his head and going to you not to touch it you know people want God to reach out and grab your hand and say don't do that and he's just going don't touch it and then we whine when we touch it right And we cry out, God, why did you let this happen to me? Because you touched the stove. It's not his fault. You know, we know it's easy to blame God for the suffering, pain, problems. It's easy to get focused on what we don't have or what's been taken away rather than what God has provided. You have to remember that important thing. God is God and we're not. Listen, if we're praying for healing and God doesn't heal us, does that mean we stop worshiping him? No. no, but I'll tell you right now, some people feel like they want to got to plow through that, you got to pray through that, got to keep your eyes fixed. You're not being delivered from a health issue it does not mean that God stopped loving you. Amen? Amen. And it doesn't mean we stop loving God. Amen. And it doesn't mean we stop worshiping God. And it doesn't mean we stop... Asking for healing either. Amen. Because we don't know what God's going to do in his timing. The Israelites were weighing out how much he loved them by what he was doing for them. And in Malachi 3.13, God says this. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. And then fortunately he goes on, he goes you have said, "What's the use of serving God? We have what we have gained. What have we gained by obeying His commands, or by trying to show the Lord of Heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins?" Man, that could just fit right now, right here. From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil, get rich, and those who dare God, dare God to punish them. Suffer no harm. See, they were angry because some people who were evil, and they knew they were evil, they were pagan, but they were prospering. While the righteous were not. They were angry because some people who despised God were speaking against him, were insulting him, and no harm was coming to them. And in their eyes, they were getting away with it. And so they start questioning, what's the use of serving God? See, they were looking for a reward, for obedience. It doesn't work that way. And they were upset that they weren't seeing it. We, this is important to remember. It's, you know, how much God loves us is not based on how wealthy we are. It's not based on our status in society. It's not based on our jobs. It's not based whether we have a roof over our head. It's not based on if we're 100% healthy. Hey, maybe having a thorn in your flesh makes you closer to God. Makes you press in more. You know, money can be the root of evil. Everyone thinks it's such a blessing. Maybe not so, depending on who you are and your circumstances. And this leads me to my first point of two points today. Let us be grateful for our blessings. Let us worship with an attitude of gratitude. Let us not fall into blame shifting when it's our own actions and choices that cause the suffering. Let us not blame God for reverting to the ways of the world when the heat gets turned up on us and we start to take action and we start to speak words that we're going to regret five minutes later. See, we can learn from the Israelites because it began right here. This is where the problem began. In their minds and their thoughts, and it trickled down to their attitude, which had affected their hearts. And as Christians, we need to be on guard. We need to guard our minds in Christ Jesus. We need to guard our thoughts, knowing that the enemy is sending those flaming arrows. He's sending those fiery darts. And if we don't address them in the name of Jesus Christ, they're going to become an inferno. And that inferno is going to spread, and we're going to spread it. And we could be creating divisiveness, and we could be getting maneuvered and manipulated by the enemy to come against the body of Christ and to separate people. Instead of loving one another, we're hammering one another. Instead of speaking in truth, we get caught up in gossip. We have to be careful. Because the enemy's licking his lips there. We don't want to be there. So we have to remember that it starts, it starts in the mind. And to be on God, to be effective for Christ, to live a life that's full of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, we've got to be honest with where we're at. We can't be in denial about sin, first of all. If we're in sin, we need to stop. We need to repent. We need to turn around and go back. We can't be, we can't be in denial about our negativity. Are you an Eeyore with a black cloud on the most sunny day? When you walk in a room, does everyone leave? Because you're too Negative. Listen, we've got to be honest about opening the door for the devil when we run to the world instead of running to the word. And you can't do this next thing without doing everything I just talked about, and that's recognize and admit your weakness. Because in our weakness is where we're going to find his strength. It's in our weakness and in that place that we're going to walk in the power of God. And if we don't ever go there, if we're just walking in pride and we're doing our own thing... Man, you're missing out on what God has for you. You're walking in ineffectiveness for the kingdom of God. And you may be used against other people. Some people aren't even aware of that, which scares me. Need to be proactive in our thinking. Focus on righteous thing. Rebuke the thoughts that would stick your feet in the mud, that would take you off the playing field, that would ruin your ministry, that would just mess up your testimonies. Well, no one's going to believe you even if you do talk about Jesus Christ. Remember, we're in the world, not of the world. We don't want to let the society sleep in uh, seep into how we work, what we do. <clears throat> These are a couple of uh, very familiar verses. Paul says to the Philippian church, but I'm going to go to the verse after, and you'll see why in a second. Philippians 4, 6, most of you know these. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So basically, don't worry about anything. You know, if you're worried about it, pray to God. It's going to go away forever, right? And people who have done this just went, uh uh-uh. (laughs) no listen you got to consistently pray but I'm telling you the verse 8 plays a huge role in this and I know people follow verse 6 and 7 but a lot of people don't give verse 8 much credence and this is what the last verse says here it says now dear brothers and sisters one final thing fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely and admirable things about things are excellent and worthy of praise That's the following verse. And why is he saying that? He's saying that because we're human beings. And it's too easy to be dragged down in the dark by the negativity. It's too easy to get stuck on what you don't have. It's too easy to be dragged across the line again. When you don't do verse 8, you start the cycle of 6 and 7 all over again. When you're so anxious that you can barely catch your breath and you go to the Lord and he provides a way out and he answers your prayer and the peace that surpasses understanding falls upon you and you're feeling good and that you let your thoughts be brought to that dark place. Here we go again. It's a hamster wheel. To fight that. Fight it in the name of Jesus Christ. Fight it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Same thing with addiction. It will bring you right to that place where you think you need to use. It'll bring you right to that place where you think you have to take a drink. It'll bring you right to that place where you doubt your relationship and the power of God and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yep. Amen. And the devil knows that. It's not about what he blesses us with. As a matter of fact, we know this eternal salvation not going to hell would be enough. Should be enough. It's not about how prosperous we are. As a children, our faith is always going to be stretched and strengthened. We will be used by God to further his kingdom, not our own. See, we seem to forget this. And I know we do a lot of powerful sermons about walking in the power of God. But... All the apostles died horrible deaths except for John. Did we forget that? They were all in. They got it. Do we? I mean, I wonder what people were saying back. Oh, I can't believe what you did to Peter, Lord. So we know that God calls the people out, puts a spotlight on what they're doing wrong. They have lost sight of who he was. And then he gets really specific because he talks directly to the priests. In six, he says, if I am your father and master, where are, you, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. 7, he goes, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. Verse 8, when you give blind animals a sacrifice, isn't that wrong? Isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Trying to give gifts like that, oh, excuse me, try to give gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It's obvious that the priests aren't doing what they're supposed to do. They're entrusted with God's command, entrusted to follow the law, and they're not. They had lost their reverence for the Lord Almighty. They had settled for offerings less than he required. And for that matter, he deserved much more. And it's interesting here because he's making a worldly comparison. He said, try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how he reacts. And of course, you're not going to do that because they're probably going to get arrested or slammed or killed or something. So it just shows how disrespectful they are to Jesus Christ, to the Lord. They had fallen into going through motions and used whatever animal that was available for sacrifice actually showing contempt for him. The law required animals with no blemish, but the priest didn't seem to care. I believe that their attitude certainly came with a lack of reverence, but that lack of reverence led to something else. Lack of fear. These guys had to know that there had been people before them who were irreverent and killed because of it by God. Yet, it doesn't seem to bother them. <laughs> today, it was with sin here. It's pretty tempting to compare them to the pastors, the ministers, the priests of today. But you can't. Because the comparison is not between the priests of today and pastors and ministers with the priests in the Old Testament. The comparison really is to followers of Jesus Christ for two reasons first Corinthians six nineteen and first peter two First corinthians six nineteen says, "Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you whom you have received from God? You are not your own there's two Greek words for temple, and one describes the whole facility with all the different parts, and the other describes Nows describes this the holy of holies where God indwells and that's what we are described as nows the holy of holy where God indwells because God is in us. And then first Peter 2 5 says you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more you are his holy priest through the mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer your spiritual sacrifices that please God. We are spiritual temples and spiritual priests who offer spiritual sacrifices. If anything can be compared to those priests, it's us as believers. See, we have direct access to God now through the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't need a priest going for us. Nobody has to make sacrifices for the nation. And this brings you to my second point. Do you remember or realize or hearing for the first time that you're a holy priest? I know the spiritual temple part. Most people know that, right? Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the comparison here is between them and us as believers, which leads me to my next question. What are you offering to God? See, it's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Making spiritual offerings. Individually, what are we offering to God? Are we going through the motions? Is he getting the crumbs of time we have left over? Is he getting the slots in the schedule that remain, you know, unused? Are you putting everyone else first? Your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your grandparents, everybody before God. Because that's not the way it's supposed to be. Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone and go down there and be stretched by God to be used by him, willing to go all in? See, we can learn from those priests, too, because we have to be careful that we don't fall into going through the motions, just going through the motions. And it can happen easily. We have to be careful that we're not lacking in reverence, not fearing God, getting caught up in just doing good works, too. I mean, that's. People want to see souls saved. People want to see the gospel message go forth. People want to see Christ shared with the lost. If you love somebody, you don't want them to go to hell, right? The priest was showing a contempt, but then he also says this to them because they weren't putting their best foot forward. They were unwilling to do the work. And he says to them in 13 he says, you say it's too hard to serve the Lord and you turn up your noses at my commands. Think of it. Animals are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept these offerings as these? Should I accept from you such offerings as these? I guess that brings us to another question is, What does it look like for you when I say too hard to serve the Lord? What does that mean? Listen, for some people, and I, you know, you know, this is true. For some people, anything out of their normal schedule is too hard to serve the Lord. And that's sad. But it's true. We know we should want to serve the Lord, but we also know that the things that we use, we should rely on him. We should be all in. We are offering spiritual sacrifice and the things that we do, Christ should sustain us. Christ is going to empower us. Christ is going to get us through. But so often, so many times we don't put ourselves in a position where we need to rely on Jesus Christ. We can come here and we can just go home and then we can come here and we can just go home and we'll never step on any mission field anywhere in the world because it's taking us out of our comfort zone or messing with our schedule. God will get us through. You want to be all in? You have to trust in Jesus Christ. You want to be all in, you have to rely on the Lord. You want to be all in, you better believe in the word of God. In the last verses here, I just want to say is this. When the Lord was referring to the unacceptable sacrifices, he said, go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering... Why should, should you, why should he show you any favor at all? Listen, this is speaking to people who are acting certain ways, going against the word of God, maybe not relying on Christ at all, just turning their nose up, walking in pride, and expecting him to show them favor. I'm not God. I don't know what he does then. But he certainly said to them, if you're giving me these crappy sacrifices, you expect me to show you favor? Even though you know what you're supposed to be doing. They expect God to show them favor regardless of what they're bringing to the altar, regardless of their effort they're putting in. And listen, I'm not talking about falling down. I'm not talking about making a mistake. I'm not talking. There's always repentance. There's always turning around. There's always repentance. It's always turning around and going towards God. Amen? Amen? Praise God for that. You know, the Lord knows our heart, He knows what we offer, He knows the effort we put in, He knows the quality of the sacrifice. He sees how we're walking and whether we get favor or not, we whether we get blessed or not, it's up to him. He's God. For the Israelites, they were taken into captivity at one point in time, the Babylonians, and many of them died. The ones that survived, he blessed the, ref, the remnant. And once again he's calling out the people. And the Lord uses Malachi to call them out with several other things too divorce among the Israelites, intermarrying with the pagans, lack of tithing, judging righteousness based on prosperity, judging his judging his love based upon blessing, and as we know, blatant disrespect of God and his laws. And he's calling them back. And then the Bible says this it says, Those who feared the Lord repented. And then they talk about the day of judgment and he says, those who fear my name are going to be dancing and leaping with joy. So some do repent. And then the last verse, Malachi 4, 4 says, remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. So at the end of this, he calls them back and all these things and some fear the Lord and they repent. And then he tells Israel, listen, you need to follow my decrees and my laws. And then guess what? 400 years of silence. This marks the end of the Old Testament. And then there's 400 years of godly silence. And that's my next sermon. What happens during those 400 years? But today, listen, as we sit here and as we leave here. Be grateful for what God has done. Don't let the enemy use negativity to drive you in a place where you're no good to anyone. Because the enemy will do that. God loves you. He wants you to walk in his direction. He wants to empower you. He wants you to live the abundant life that he has for you. And that may not be money. But it certainly will be joy. He wants us to love one another as he loves us. Amen. Amen. Please bow your heads with me. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that as we go out of here, Lord, that we would remember that you are the God of provision, that you provide everything, Lord. Lord, that things happen, bad things happen to good people. We live in a fallen world, Lord. Help us to press into you, even in the middle of the valleys. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you, to trust that you have a plan and that you know better for us than we do. So, Lord, we just thank you that you love us. Help us to continue to walk in your righteous path. Help us to continue in in honoring and glorifying you in all that we do. Lord, we just thank you for this congregation. I pray, pray that you would just bless each person sitting here. Lord, that they would dream dreams, they would see visions, they would clearly hear your voice. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we all said, Amen. 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 Service is over. Go with the grace of God.